Welcome to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. We've interviewed the chapter authors of the OpenStax Principles of Management textbook with the intention of bringing each chapter to life. Our goal is to make learning management not suck. Now let's learn a little bit about the interviewee for this chapter. Hello, and welcome to the Organizational Structure and Change episode. I'm your host, Justine. I am here with Chapter 10 author, Dr. David Bright. David holds a PhD in Organizational Behavior from Case Western University in Cleveland, Ohio, as well as a Master of Organizational Behavior from Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. He is now a professor at Wright State University and has been recognized for his innovative teaching and service. David is an expert in his field and his research focuses on the practice of values in organizations through virtue ethics, positive organizational scholarship, organizational virtuousness, appreciative inquiry, and classroom excellence. His work has been published in several prestigious academic and practitioner journals. He has also co-authored a textbook, Becoming a Master Manager, a Competing Values Framework in 2015 and updated in 2020, and a book on teaching, classroom as organization in 2020. Everyone, please welcome Dr. David Bright. Uh, So why does a business need to care about organizational structure and change? Structure, it refers to the way that an organization is organized, the way that it's set up to coordinate all the activities that need to happen within that system. So we think of an organization as a system. The structures that exist within that system are what define the system. They define how work is done. They define the relationships between people. People rely on structures to know what work they should do, how their work supports or relies on other employees and how these work activities fulfill the purpose of the organization itself. So if you wanted to put it more simply, an organization structure simply refers to to the way that that organization coordinates all the activities that it needs to account for. Why does a business need to care about structure and change? Well, An organization is always organized to do something, right? And Mm -hmm. if you care about the outputs that flow from the organization, you have to care about the structure, right? Because the structure is what sets the stage for the outputs of the organization. If there's something that you're not satisfied with in the outputs from the system, then you got to look at the organization itself. And structure is a really important component of how the organization is set up. So to use an example from your own class, what I just interviewed your teacher about, asking her how your class is set up, your class has structures of teams, right? So you have teams that are designed to be self-organized, mm-hmm. and then you have a professor, and it sounds to me like your teams are also interacting with one another. So your teams need to, to generate opportunities for other teams to learn all across your class, right? Yes. So... For your class, you actually have a couple of different structures. One would be teams. Another would be the expectations around what those teams do. So we can think about physical structures, kind of like who's in which group and how those groups are arranged. But you can also think about organizing structures in how the group actually does its work. So you have certain expectations that your professor has provided for you that also provide structure that will organize how you do your work even within the team. Mm-hmm. So does that make sense? Yes. All right. So for our textbook, what I've mostly focused on are these 
organizational structures that refer to how people are related to one another across the organizational system. But there are other ways of looking at structure as well. Okay. All right. Thank you. What is the difference between the formal and informal organization? The formal organization is, one way to think about it is it's the way that the, the organization is designed on paper. So if you were to create a chart of which roles define the organization and who's filling those roles, that kind of defines the formal organization. If you think about it from that perspective, <clears throat> the formal organization defines how the, the organization should function, like which departments depend on other departments, which teams are part of departments, what the reporting structure for the organization is. If you have a CEO, chief operating officer, or chief officers in the organization, directors, all the way down to people at the lowest levels of the organizational hierarchy, that's the formal structure. Now, the informal structure is what happens as people participate in the process of doing their work. People are constantly making and creating relationships with one another. And that happens sometimes within the formal structure of the organization. So like, I know I need to talk to my manager and check in with him or her. My manager knows that, that she needs to check in with me, but it is also going to include just relationships that just happen. So I get to know Susie, who's two cubes over okay. and she's not in my group, but we meet each other and we talk around the water cooler or uh, I find out that she has some background that's really related to mine that helps me to do my work. And so we connect and maybe share ideas just informally. We just do that on our own. Okay. Or if I am in logistics and I need to make sure that we have supplies for our part of the organization, I might get to know three or four people who work for vendor organizations or maybe parts of my organization. And I just develop relationships with them. They're not my formal reporting structure. They're not even part of my group. They may be totally across the organization, but I develop those relationships because I, I have to interact with them just to do my job. So okay. the informal organization is the organization that just kind of happens as people make connections and relate to each other in their everyday interactions. So it's like networking that you didn't intend to happen? Yeah, well, you can be intentional <laughs> about it. Actually, you can be very intentional about creating an informal organization. I guess that's what yeah. business is all about, making connections. That's true, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, making connections is what makes organizations, I mean, that, that's how organizations work. And it's how we are able to be successful. We have to learn how to develop those relationships, those connections with people, regardless of the formal structure. I and mean, the formal structure mm -hmm. just sort of gives us a template to start with. But it's what we do with that template that really makes the difference. Like the right? saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep. All right. Okay. What is bureaucracy? And can you tell us more about the bureaucratic structure? The idea of bureaucracy comes from the efforts in organizations to figure out how to do things more efficiently, really starting in the late 19th century, so late 1800s and early 20th century, early 1900s. That was so long ago to us that we just sort of take for granted that bureaucracy is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. But back then it was kind of an answer to this huge problem, this challenge. We're trying to manufacture goods or 
generate services on such a large, massive scale that we're, we're involving hundreds or thousands of people. So mm -hmm. how do we organize all those people in a way that allows us to coordinate their actions and coordinate the work, make sure we're not doing the same things in different parts of the organization, can help the whole system function better. So bureaucracy is a way of, of organizing a system so that people can specialize in different th things and, and then work together around those specialties in a coordinated fashion. When you look at the whole organization as a system. So it kind of goes along with the idea of industrial engineering and the, the emergence of the, of the assembly line, right? And Ford Motor Company was like the most famous example of this, mm -hmm. how you take this huge <clears throat> complex process to build an automobile that when they started trying to tackle this problem, it would take them a month, two months to build one car. And it would usually be just a couple of people who'd like knew everything about how to do it. And they would all work together in this tight knit group, kind of a self-managed team, but it yeah. would take them forever to build a car or a truck or whatever. And Is so what, yeah, go ahead, Justine. Are you saying like that they were all working on the same thing as opposed to splitting up like exactly. in our group and doing like one person who's really good at this thing, one person's good at this thing. And then like splitting up and getting it done quicker as opposed to all trying to figure out one thing together. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, what they would do, and we still do this today, is you take this huge complex project and you break it down into its parts. You figure mm -hmm. out how all those pieces fit together. And then you assign people to work on each of those elements uh, so that they can specialize in that one thing. And they do their one thing and it gets moved on to the next part of the process with, to one or two or small group of people who specialize in that next thing and they do their piece and then, and so on all the way down the line. And they, you, you can build some efficiencies into that process in this way that allows you to, to do this complex thing, this big task, super fast. So they got to the point where they could build an automobile in a day and we still do that even today. Just amazing. Thousands and thousands of parts, components that all need to fit together in a coordinated fashion. So that's the scientific management, but that goes along with bureaucracy. Bureaucracy then helps us to understand how to organize that whole system. So all those components, all those pieces will come together when you look at it from that whole system, that whole organization perspective. So you have departments that kind of specialize in a group of tasks, and then you have groups of departments that are overseen by a manager, a supervisor who kind of has oversight for a broader area of the organization, all the way up to the senior leader in the organization, usually the chief executive officer. And so it's about dividing responsibilities and the tasks that an organization needs to t account for, organizing those in a way that allows us to, to get the work done that we need to accomplish. Okay. So you'd say like bureaucracy is about efficiency within a company? As originally designed, it's all about increasing efficiency and also increasing the ability of people to become experts yeah. in certain areas of practice so that they can apply the expertise in an efficient way. So basically bureaucracy is about specialization, efficiency. You'd say that goes along with centralization, formalization, command and control, and span of control. Yeah. Those five principles that you read about in the book are all ways to think about organizing the system, creating okay. the bureaucracy. Specialization is about how you're going to organize that area of expertise. Command and control has to do with the reporting relationships 
so that coordination can happen across the system as we apply those areas of expertise. The span of control refers to how much responsibility any one person is accountable for, right? So the CEO is accountable for the whole system, but he'll hire or she'll hire five operating officers to handle major areas of the business. And each of them will then hire or oversee uh, a group of directors or senior managers who have their scope of responsibility. That's what we think of as span of, of control, right? Centralization is a decision about where the decision-making is going to be. Does every single leader in the chain of command need to sign off on a decision? Or can people at the lower levels of the organization just make decisions and execute them on, on their own? Okay. And what, what we think of as bureaucracy today has to do with centralization. And it oftentimes when a bureaucracy bogs down, it's because leaders of leaders of leaders of leaders are requiring that they authorize whatever the activities are. So that can bog down the process and make really slow things down. Okay. And a decentralized organization, you're actually disseminating that responsibility for making decisions, that ability to make decisions out to the edges of the organization. Okay. So people don't have to report up to their you know, supervisor or the supervisor's supervisor to ask for permission to do things. And formalization just has to do with how well defined our processes are within the system. We'll get to this in a minute, but in a very mechanistic organization, those processes are very formalized. In a more organic system, it tends to be more informal. So you kind of figure out things as you go, much like you're doing right now. <laughs> no, yeah. My boyfriend works for, I don't know if you know, electric boat but they work on the submarines and everything you just said goes perfectly with what they're doing because he does the mechanical engineering aspect, but then there's all kinds of different engineers that have to come together to actually make the submarine properly created. So mm -hmm. there's certain things that he handles and then that someone else handles and someone else handles, but they have to collaborate together to make right. sure that everything lines up and that it's all like being done properly, separately, and then it can happen. And then they report to people above them that oversee it, but they have them doing all of like the work, but they just kind of right. make sure that it's getting done correctly. So mm -hmm. it's totally everything you just said would go into what he does. That's great. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful example. All Good. right. Can you explain the difference between mechanistic and organic structures? Mm -hmm. Sure. Mechanistic and organic structure. This language is used to describe different sets of assumptions about how organizing should be ideally carried out, okay. right? They kind of represent two ends of a continuum. So the mechanistic side of the continuum is aligned with a metaphor of an organization functioning like a machine. Okay. And the organic side of this continuum is aligned with the metaphor of an organization functioning like an organism, like something that's a living system, like a plants, a garden, mm -hmm. or a bee colony, something that has its own self-organizing capacity. So you think about the machine metaphor, the mechanistic side, what that implies is that the ideal organization is comprised of components and elements that all need to, f to be designed. They need to be defined and they need to be aligned in a way that allows them to function with efficiency mm. and with big word replicability, like 
every time you're going to do a process, it's replicable, <laughs> meaning that you do it the same way. Every you're time. You get the same consistent <clears throat> results time after time after time. So another way of <clears throat> describing that is, is standardized. Yes. Okay. So, so in a mechanistic organization, one that is more mechanistic than organic, which you'll see is lots of procedures. There are scripted ways of doing things. People have to be trained in how to do the work in a very prescribed way. And they're expected to perform that work in a way that aligns with those prescriptions. And the whole point is to eliminate deviance, right? <laughs> so people who love checklists, who love a clear set of expectations, like to work in an orderly environment, they tend to like a more mechanistic style of organizing. Okay. Yeah. On the other side of the continuum, the organic organization is more like a living system, like a garden or a bee colony or, well, there's lots of metaphors we could look at, but I, I love the metaphor of a bee colony to talk <laughs> about this. Cause you think about uh, worker bees. I mean, we even use that term, right? Mm -hmm. Worker bees, uh, are the individuals within the system. They're kind of just doing their thing. They're oblivious to the system, right? But you also have the beekeeper who's kind of outside the system. Yeah. So what's interesting about a bee colony is that it's self-organizing. So worker bees are not told what to do. They, they just, just kind of figure it, it out. Yeah. Yeah. They just do it. They're instinctively doing the things that they do. And they'll actually specialize in tasks as they become aware of the need to do certain things, which is really interesting. So people can be that way too. We can look at an organization from both perspectives. Are, are you going to look at it from the perspective of the worker bees? People are just mm -hmm. inside the system, kind of doing their thing, figuring things out. And, or we can look at this from the perspective of the beekeeper and we're outside the system and uh, we want to create the conditions for those bees to organize themselves in a way that's optimal for what we want to happen as an outcome, you know, the, mm -hmm. the kind of honey we want. So there's lots of things that a beekeeper can control. Like where the hive is located, the kind of feed that's available to the worker bees, to some extent, the temperature and the conditions that they're going to experience inside the hive. There's a lot of things he or she can control, but the, the, the actual work of generating what happens inside that colony has to be done by the bees. The beekeeper cannot do that. Only the bees okay. can make the honey, right? So you can apply that same metaphor to what happens within an organization. So an organically oriented organization the ideal way of organizing is to maximize the potential of people to act for themselves. So we want them to be creative. We want them to uh, bring their ideas to the workplace. We want them to invent new things. We want them to do things differently and sort of bring their best creative power okay. to what they're doing in their work. People who love freedom, who like flexibility, who are motivated by a higher purpose, they're valued for what they know, they love to work in a more organic type of organization. Okay, so I would say that the me mechanistic would be similar to my boyfriend's, like being an engineer at Electric Boat. Like a submarine right. has to be built a specific way. There's checklists, you have to do it the right way. It's getting looked at and it all has to be uniform every time. And then organic would be like those startup companies that you see in the movies and stuff where everyone's playing ping pong on their breaks and they're just kind of brainstorming and no one gets yelled at, but you're just kind of expected to get your work done on your own. 
and to be yeah okay so there's those, I, now i can imagine those two different kind of companies depending on the product that's expected like the submarines right. it needs to be mechanistic it can't just be like free it has to be structure or mm -hmm. it could deviate from what it the outcome is supposed to be which could be a problem and then it wouldn't get built properly that's but maybe like a marketing company Mm -hmm. They could be organic if they want, because let's say that they're looking for new, fresh, creative ideas from their new set of younger employees. So they want them to come up with stuff that they wouldn't ordinarily think of. So they're allowing them to kind of do their own thing. Mm -hmm. You nailed it. Okay. Yep. All right. Cool. Yep. You've nailed it. That's exactly All right. right. Okay. And I hope from the examples you just shared, you can see that the requirements of the situation will dictate the type of organizing that is a, is needed. Yeah, right? makes sense. And so that's part of what we mean by design, right? We want to understand the situation or the context, and then we design an organization or design processes that help us to fulfill the requirements of that situation. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. What is the horizontal organizational structure also known as flat organization? We refer to organizations that have a lot of layers of hierarchy as vertical organizations. Okay. And those tend to be top-down types of structures because you have people who are in positions of power, kind of set the stage and maybe even dictate what needs to happen for the next broad scope of organization. And then leaders there dictate what needs to happen in their areas of responsibility and so forth all the way down. Okay, so that's a vertical organization. Tends so to be it's very directed. like a ladder. That's like the ladder. You can climb the ladder to That's get right. to the top. Yeah. So if you're wanting to advance in that style of organization, it means that you're advancing into a, a position where you have a broader scope of authority, and okay. a broader scope of responsibility. Right. So is horizontal just the opposite of that? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Horizontal organization is flat, where there are very few layers of organization. Uh, the whole point of a horizontal organization is you want to reduce that oversight so that you're making space for, and you're actually creating this structure that requires people to make decisions for themselves and to think for themselves. Okay. And like check in with those who can help provide resources and maybe provide direction to where they're doing. It's not like a free-for-all, but they're in a flat organization the whole point is to help people to have the space, the autonomy, the flexibility to do what they think is best and to come up with the solutions that they themselves create. And what a leader does in that type of an, a system is simply provides direction and then gets out of the way and lets people figure it out. Right? Okay. How does the organization's overall objective drive the structure? Well, I think I've answered this. I know. I was going to say, to I think extent, you did. Right? Yeah, I think you did. So, it's based off of what the company is providing and what their mission is and what they're doing. It's going to go either way. It just simply depends on the requirements of the situation. If we need to generate outputs from our organization that are completely predictable and standardized, then you want a, a more mechanistic style of organizing. If we need creativity, if we need innovations, we need new things, then we need a more organic style organization and, yeah. and most organizations are not exclusively one or the other they tend to have both i think this is actually another nuance to answering the question even in organizations that do manufacturing they'll have 
different functions that do different things. So in a manufacturing environment, it's going to be completely mechanistic for the mm -hmm. most part, if you want that standardization. But they may also have, and almost every large organization also has a research and development organization. And in that function, you want just the opposite. You want people coming and kind of breaking open the box. You want them to actually find the problems. You want them to invent completely new, new product lines or new ideas. And so you, in that little subsystem within the organization, you need to have a structure that's much more organic. Okay. okay. You see this in all types of organizations. In the military, you see the main body of like the infantry, for example. They have both mechanistic and organic elements built into their structure, but they are very hierarchical, okay? So there's a command and control structure that makes sure that, you know, orders are delivered to the infantry who are literally on the front line. But once they've gotten those orders, as a team, those individuals are free to figure out how to accomplish the mission. And sometimes they need to make adjustments in what they're doing so that they can accomplish whatever their objectives are, right? So you need a little bit of flexibility there. Then you also have the special forces who almost it purposely remove almost any reference to rank when they are actually working together or training together. And for those groups, which are almost entirely self-managed teams, mm -hmm. rank becomes meaningless. Okay? Yeah. It's the specialty. It's the job that they have. Whose specialty is relevant for where we are right now in the mission. That's Absolutely. what matters, right? And when that specialty is live, that person becomes the leader. It doesn't matter what the rank is. It doesn't matter just, if you're enlisted or, you know, an who, officer. Who can do the best job. Who can do the job. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that type of system would not work in the regular command and control structure. That's one of the reasons you have special forces because they need their own structure that's separated off from the strong hierarchy command and control structure that dominates the other elements of the force. So you see both working in almost every organization. You'll see pockets where it's more one way or the other. Yeah, that makes sense. So I feel like those answered what functional need is all as well. Mm -hmm. Just and Yeah, then... that's exactly right. Functional need refers to what's required to get the job done. We'll move on to 10.2. Can you tell us about the different types of change in organizations, structural, technological, and culture? By the way, these are just three of many different kinds of changes that can occur in an organization. Mm -hmm. So structural change refers to what we've been talking about. So if we want to reorganize the, the organizational chart, that's a structural change. Mm -hmm. And so we reorder who needs to talk to whom, how the different parts of the organization are configured, how we organize to manage new technology. These are all structural changes. Technology can drive structure too. So when we're implementing technology in organizations, you got to figure out how it works. You got to figure out the personnel, the jobs that are required to make that technology work. Gotta figure That's out exactly training. what happened with our group. We had to have the audio engineer and figure out how do we use Riverside. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. So you're learning technology as you go, right? Sounds to me, just from what you've described, that you've identified some different roles that the members of your team can play mm -hmm. to manage this technology. So that's a good example of it. Culture 
has to do with the way in which we carry out our work. And it's very tied to the character of people and kind of their basic assumptions about what it means to be a human being in connection with other human beings. So it can be influenced very much by the mechanistic and the organic assumptions that we just talked about. For example, if you have a, uh, a culture that's dominated by assumptions that align with a mechanistic orientation, then there's a tendency to see people as objects, to see them as parts of a machine. And it's easy, very easy for managers when they're making decisions to kind of slip into a mentality where they just think of people in that way. Oh, we got this person here who can do X. Well, let's just take them from here. We'll unplug them here and plug them in over here, right? Mm -hmm. And, and just think of making that change in the same way they would changing the spark plugs on an automobile. Absolutely. And how do people feel in that kind of a, an environment? It depends a lot on yeah. the, the full context, but oftentimes they feel like they're not treated as human beings and they feel devalued. You probably all heard the phrase being treated like a number means yeah. that you're not treated as a human being. Of well, course, that's a cultural yeah. phenomenon and it's driven by the underlying assumptions about what it means to be in connection with other uh, individuals, other human beings. And then there are other cultural characteristics that emerge just from the old fashioned virtues or ways of being that we grow up with, that we should be compassionate and we need to demonstrate courage. We need to be diligent. We need to be persistent and have drive. We have a work ethic. Those are all just character traits that people bring with them to an organization that can be shaped by and influenced very much by the environment, the social environment that people are working in. So mm -hmm. when we're trying to implement culture change, we're usually trying to implement change in those behaviors that people typically engage in as a result of those underlying assumptions that drive an organization. So of all three of those changes, structural, technological, and culture, the hardest one is culture by far. I, right now we're witnessing a cultural change with the people struggling to get people to work because after not working and getting money ultimately for doing nothing, they're like, wait, I'm not making enough money to do actual work. And they're not feeling as valued. And now people are being extremely picky on the jobs that they're choosing. All of a sudden, before it was people took what they could get, but now it's like everyone's being more choosy as to how they're treated within the company. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I think that's spot on. Yeah. People are becoming more aware of the kind of culture they want to work in. Yeah, absolutely. Out of nowhere, too, since the pandemic, all of a sudden, the employment rate, people are like, yep. employers, finding people is very hard now. But I think it can be good because maybe employees weren't being treated the way that they should have been. And maybe certain companies are having to make the changes that they wouldn't have made on their own, but that they should have been making regardless to get the people to stay and to treat them properly. So it could be good. That, there are definitely situations where that's the case. I think what you're talking about is a very complex phenomenon. And there's definitely an element of what you're talking about, in my opinion. And I also think that there's more to the story. But the, no, the, yeah, the, of definitely, course. definitely yeah. an element of what you're talking about. Yes. I think what you're saying, if we put it simply, is people are paying attention to culture now, maybe more than they have in the past. It's interesting. Yeah. But I feel like that is. One of the biggest things we've seen happen from the pandemic is that change within yeah, the workforce. Or it could also be a reprioritization too. Some people are just yeah. not wanting to put themselves in a situation where they're overworked and 
where they want more time for things that matter more to them. I mean, because when you yeah. get into a situation where literally life has been threatened, it, it yep. causes us to refocus our values and our priorities. So I think there's some of that going on too. And people have spent more quality time than they have in a long time. So I think they're like, nice, maybe I'll work less. And then they're wanting to find something where they're not obligated to have such long work weeks. That's interesting. Very interesting. Can you explain the organizational life cycle? Sure. Yeah. So th this, I think, should be a fairly intuitive idea. A life cycle refers to any type of an organic cycle, using that metaphor again, okay? mm -hmm. where there's a clear beginning birth, so to speak, and a maturing phase, a mature phase, and like a, a decline phase. You know, I think about the human life cycle. You have your birth, childhood, adolescence, adulthood. You can break that down into early adulthood middle adulthood and then later adulthood you would think about retirement and then people die right well yeah. organizations have a life cycle that, that can follow that same logic right so there's a birth there's a kind of emergence of a new organization so we call this the entrepreneurial stage then you have that early success the survival stage as organizations get past that period and then if they really take hold in the marketplace becomes successful, then you're going to see sustained success. As they go through that progression, what you'll typically see is that the, the organization becomes more formalized as it matures and grows. So once you get past an enterprise that can be managed with like five or six people, you kind of got to start dividing up the work and specializing in how you get things done. Typically you'll see several transformations as organizations grow and mature and have to account for more activities. And then there'll be the last phase of that renewal or decline. So the renewal is where you look at what kind of what's going on and say, Hey, if we continue doing what we're doing, we're not going to be around in another year. So we got to change something. So what do we need to do? Do we need to restructure? Do we need to improve our technology? Do we need to reposition where we are in the marketplace? What do we need to do so that we can continue to stay in business, right? Stay mm -hmm. afloat as an organization. So it'll either be renewal where you kind of reinvent yourself or decline where you at some point say, all right, this line of business, this type of organization is no longer viable or needed. And so we're going to close it down. That's the logic of the life cycle. When those big hurricanes were hitting Florida back in like 2003, like Hurricane Charlie, and there was a whole slew of them, my father started a screen service business and it was happen if screens were getting ruined every year and it was doing well and that was like the height of it and it had a slow decline to where there was so much competition that everyone else had the same idea that he ended up just letting it go and doing something else mm -hmm. i think that's a great example the better metaphor for the life cycle here is growing a garden i don't know if you've ever done that but it's very typical that you plant more seeds than you need mm -hmm. right because you want to see what germinates yeah like I love to grow beans, for example, you plant twice as many bean plants as you actually need. And then when they get to a level of maturity where uh, you can see which ones are going to take off and, and kind of assess the situation, then you thin out. In other words, you pull the ones you don't need. Mm -hmm. Organizations are like that too. So entrepreneurship, you have tons of startup businesses, people just trying out things, trying to make some money. And very few of those actually survive to the next stage. And they may be viable. They may be turning a profit for a couple of years, but those that survive into year two, three, four, or five, 
those are the ones that t tend to, to last a little longer. I think your example is a, a good illustration of that. All right. I would say you already walked us through the scope of change, the level of change and the intentionality of change. Well, those, let me explain those just a little bit. Uh, but just very simply, scope of change just refers to how dramatic the change is that we're shooting for. Incremental change is where we're making little adjustments along the way. Whereas transformational change is where we're fundamentally redesigning something. And that could be the whole system. It could be the structure. It could be the implementation of a new technology. So that could be transformational. Implementation of a new technology could also just be incremental. It could just be adding like one little tool that sort of helps us to do a well-established process uh, a little more efficiently. So it just depends on how dramatic the change is going to be. So that's what okay. scope of change refers to. And so then just, the level okay. of change, wait, does that make sense? You had a question? Yeah, that makes sense. When restaurants completely change their name and they open up into something else, like that's like a huge change. Right. Same owners, but they're completely redoing it or just... Completely new business, right. Are we just mm -hmm. raising prices and switching the menu up a bit? Right. Yep, okay. that's exactly right. Okay. So uh, level of change refers to the level of the system that we're changing. And so we can think of organizations as nested systems, starting with the individual. People are the, the building block of organizations. And actually, it's the relationship between people that become the building block of organizations. So you have individuals. Mm -hmm. The level of change might involve a group or several groups of individuals or organization, which is system-wide. So that's what the level of change means. It refers to the level of the organization that we're directing our efforts toward. So if we want to change individuals, then we typically will help them to increase their capacity to perform as individuals. We might provide them with training. We might provide mm -hmm. them with opportunities to practice the skill set that they are trying to develop. Maybe we provide them with coaching or mentoring, or maybe we focus on the incentive system that helps individuals to feel that they're being treated fairly and have value. So those are all individual level kinds of interventions. And then group change is focused on helping people to work more effectively and cohesively as a unit. So team building, what you guys are doing here where you're self-managing, you might help groups to develop their ability to work cohesively within an area of specialty. So you help them to become a team interdependent on one another to deliver product or service. In essence, that level of change is just focused on groups of people and helping them to, to work more effectively in their connections with one another. And then the organizational level changes like the broadest level where you're dealing with policy strategy. So they're kind of the big picture changes. And then the intentionality of change is just very simple. I think this one's pretty easy. Are we actually planning to make this change or is this change that was unplanned? Like, did it just sort of emerge or happen or get imposed on us? So intentional change is where we are actually trying to stimulate some sort of a shift in the organization. And an unplanned change is something that just kind of happens. It's also uh, known as the ripple effect. So this is our second order change. So we can plan a change, implement a new structure, for example, but then we can't really predict how that's going to affect other parts of the organization. And those things would be unplanned. So I just have one last question. 
How do you see the contents of this chapter relating to the lives of college students in and outside the classroom? Well, I guess there are a couple ways that it could affect you. So one would be just understanding how these concepts can help you to be intentional about the kinds of organizations you want to be part of. So I think mm -hmm. I hinted at this earlier. If you like order structure, you like to have a really predictable skill set, you'd like to be known as an expert in that skill set, then a more mechanistic style organization is probably the place where you're going to feel most comfortable. If you like novelty, if you like to be creative, if you like to be innovative and you like to have a lot of flexibility and freedom in how you do things, then a more organic type of organization is going to be a place where you're probably going to be happy. People who can align with both of those, neither one is right or wrong. They just it's are true. different, just different. Yeah, right? absolutely. And then I would also uh, encourage the students to really study the different approaches to change in 10.3, because these are really dramatically different ways of approaching change. Most of the students who are taking this class are not going to be in a position where they can really influence the decision about how to create planned change. But having awareness of these as options, I just would love for you to keep these in the back of your mind as you gain life experience, because at some point you might be. And uh, there are different consequences for these different approaches and there are situations where each one of them is appropriate. So I will leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's very important to be able to flourish with change because it's the only constant that we will experience. <laughs> well said. It's very true. All right. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I really appreciate it. You answered all of our questions and gave us a better understanding of chapter 10. You're welcome. I'm glad to help. Yes. I wish you all good luck. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Deconstructing Management, a podcast made by college students for college students. Be sure to check the show notes for resources related to this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.